This is Studio Insights, a Provost Studio podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Studio Insights brought to you by Provost Studio. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the show. Today, we are talking acoustics, and we're going to talk a little bit about maybe why acoustics is sometimes overlooked, but how important they are in the grand scheme of things when it comes to building a studio. So joining me today is Peter Provo, the president and director of design at Provost Studio. Peter, welcome back. How are you doing, man? Hey, Tyler. Good. Good, 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 good. I appreciate it. Happy early turkey day. Yeah, happy early Turkey Day to you as well. And we are also thrilled to be joined today by Steve Haas. He's the CEO and Principal Consultant for SH Acoustics. Steve, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tyler. Good afternoon. Happy to be here. Excellent. Well, we are thrilled to have uh, both of you guys on, obviously. And so, Steve, with you uh, being new on the podcast and being our, our new guest, why don't you start off, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your expertise when it comes to acoustics. Sure. Well, I've been doing acoustic and audio design for about 32 years now doesn't seem that long, but I've been having fun. And we do a lot of different types of spaces, certainly everything from performing arts to museums, uh, luxury homes, recording studios, and, and certainly broadcast studios as well. And that that is where Peter and I have led a lot of great intersections in, in life here. So we really get involved from the very beginning of a project early on all the way through the end. We do calibration of audio in the end uh, on a lot of different projects. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. So, Peter, I, I think obviously one of the things that, that seems to stand out to me about acoustics is, is that it can often be maybe a forgotten aspect of things for clients. Why do you think that is? Is, is it because you can't really see sound, and, but you know bad acoustics when you hear it, but it's not necessarily something that, that's right there front and center in front of your face that, that's always obvious? Yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily from a client perspective an intentional omission is some additional education needed relative to the overall infrastructure that's needed for a broadcast studio or quite frankly for other other project types as well. And I think one of the things that led us to find Steve and to engage him on as a team member on our projects was that we, we just ran into many missed opportunities from a client's perspective that again I kind of go back to if we were only brought in sooner. And it's not power and data this time, it's it's about acoustics. And having somebody like Steve um, and, uh, you know, acoustic engineering and acoustics in general considered earlier rather than later is a huge time saver. And quite frankly, uh, you know, a frustration reliever for the for the client as well. So, Steve, you heard Peter talking there about uh, just wanting to be brought into the process as early as possible. For you, anyways, why is that such an important thing to be uh, involved early and often, kind of throughout that that process when it comes to uh, making sure the acoustics for a certain facility are correct? Well, Tyler, it's very simple. I think half of our projects are have some component of fixing someone else's mess or someone else's omission. Uh, it, it, I was just in Ohio yesterday working on a performing arts theater, a 500-seat theater, where the, the sound of that theater just was so unbearably bad. People could not understand dialogue. They couldn't understand, you know, they, they felt there was an incredible imbalance in the sound uh, in all the productions that they had. And it turns out just it was a combination of a poorly treated room 
with an audio system that just was not set up, even after many years of using it, just was not set up properly. And it's one of those things that if you just come in to a situation with fresh eyes and ears and you look at it that way, you can really think about, okay, what went wrong here? But you can also think about what would have happened? How many shows would have gone off so much better if they had just done this right in the first place? And unfortunately, with the world we're in, with sound, the quality, the control of sound just isn't always thought about in the beginning and or or at all. Uh, maybe they think it's, you know, like you said, it's, it's, it's sight unseen, sound unheard, so they can get away with it. And especially if the projects are driven by more aesthetic decisions, designers who really want to focus on other aspects of the project, perhaps, it, it makes it uh, much more difficult to get everything that you need from a sound perspective. So that's that's really one of the biggest reasons why coming in early into a project makes a huge difference because of how much we affect the architecture, the layout of spaces, particularly not putting a really noisy space right next to or on top of an incredibly quiet space like a broadcast studio. It's huge. You know, we've had big uh, mechanical rooms uh, located next to studios, uh, an industrial kitchen above a studio, right, Peter? <laughs> Cafeteria, right? I mean, all kinds of mismatches when it comes to space design, space planning, where somebody with our acoustic eye could just come in right away and immediately see the problem just by looking at a drawing without knowing any details. You can bring up, okay, that might not be the best place to put right next to or right above or below a critical space like a broadcast studio. So that's just one of several reasons why coming in early makes a difference. I think, Steve, you're right. I mean, well, Tyler, you're, well, you're both right. Tyler, you'd mentioned you never know, you know, you never think about acoustics until it's not right. And um, we like to try not to get to that point. But to, to Steve's point also, where when clients think about acoustics, they think, okay, it's, it's just about duct liners and making sure that, you know, the sound doesn't reverberate in the space. But early on, it's really about space adjacency. It's about looking at the section and the type of construction. All of those things that generally are like finished and completed, if not built before we even get on site. If, if we have the opportunity to come onto these projects early to affect those things in the the planning and the um, design prior to the construction commencing, um, it becomes a lot easier for, for Steve. So, Yeah, and, and Peter, I suppose it, it falls to you and, and what you guys do to make sure that there's that blend of aesthetics, but also functionality, right? And acoustics kind of fits into yeah. that. As you heard Steve talking about a little bit, sometimes uh, aesthetics are, are prioritized to a certain extent that end up uh, maybe hampering the ability to to do acoustics in a positive way. So you kind of have to be the person that that ties all of these things together, right? And make sure that that the aesthetics don't go so far out of whack that you can't actually make this a good sounding room and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that depending on which project type we're talking about, I think that that is more relevant than others. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't think we've run into a case yet with broadcast where 
you know, what we wanted to do from an on-camera perspective aesthetically was hampered by, you know, what we needed to do for performative um, acoustic perspective. But aside from budget, you know, because generally if these things are not planned in advance or quite frankly, maybe they were maybe they were planned but not budgeted, if we're delivering the project on a, you know, design build, you know, delivery, then eventually it will come down to us. But generally the the good news is that, you know, S- Steve's approach to the space and making sure that it performs the way it does is really, you know, I don't want to say out of frame. Well, it is, it's out of frame, right? But it really has not, I've not found it to be something that is aesthetically kind of putting putting parameters on us that otherwise wouldn't be there, so. Look, uh, I always like to say when we do our job well, no one notices. Yeah, I would agree to that. Because, you know, in most cases, we're not there to wreak havoc with aesthetics or functionality of the room. We're there to actually complement it and make it perform that much better. That's why, uh, I mean, the two types of spaces, I would say, get a lot of respect with acoustics are concert halls, you know, performing arts spaces, and studios, uh, for the most part, at least even, especially from the end users, right? In the case of a performance hall, it's really about the artists, musicians. In the case of a broadcast studio, it's about certainly the talent, but even more so the engineers, the end users who have to work in these spaces every single day and know what happens when you have problems that can't be solved technologically. You know, tech, technology comes along, has come a long way to solving some problems with, say, noise. I mean, we just talked about, you know, how these video conference calls reject the sounds of leaf blowers outside your window and other things. So, yes, th- there are situations where you can have technology, at least for the broadcast itself, come through. But that doesn't mean that the talent and and the interviewers inside of a studio would love to deal with the sound of leaf blowing or in, in more realistic cases, HVAC noise or transformer hum or all kinds of things that that just it's the unsexy part of what we do. Right. It's it's the part that you know no one really takes um, you know uh, credit for because it just needs to happen. You need quiet studios. You know, it's not the same as other types of spaces that I work in regularly. I mentioned two of them at the beginning, museums and luxury homes. Those are not spaces, not sectors that have commonly been known for great acoustics, great performance. But over decades of of trying to raise the bar and hopefully doing it to a, a decent degree, you know, we've stopped having to be, you know, masochists and and realize that, you know, it's like nobody cares at all. We've 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 made people understand just through our efforts, just through the successes that we've had in these particular buildings, exactly why it's important to think about that sound quality and sound control. So when you bring it back to the studios, for instance, and you come into a project where Nobody, and we're talking about at the end of design, maybe at the beginning of construction, there's been little attention given to that quality and containment or control of sound. It's a little uh, eyebrow raising 
because you just you just don't quite understand how they got that far in the process without realizing what effects they could have in those particular spaces if they don't address it. So it's coming in after the fact, which we've done on major projects not too long ago, and basically insert our process, insert ourselves, get the right things into the design, and hopefully the clients will approve them, find the budgets for them, and they can move forward to completion. Steve, I have a I have a question for you. I know I'm not supposed to ask questions, but I'm going to do it anyway. Go so you, you and I have done several, 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 several projects right together. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I kind of feel like it's Groundhog Day because we have the same conversations with clients. Um, but, you know, notwithstanding of the... Um, I don't know, the past three or four projects we've done over the past 24 months, what would you say, like, if if there's a prospective client or a partner that's kind of listening to this, what would you say are the themes of those things that those, those um, things that are typical that, that you're trying to, I don't want to say, well, so yeah, solve for it, right, and help. What, what are those things? Well, certainly containment of sound between spaces. And and one of the interesting facts about the types of facilities that we have worked on and and in other cases as well, is that they're so multi-use, right? Let's let's take a pro sports facility, a headquarters type facility where you don't just have your broadcast suite. Okay. The broadcast suite is pretty well defined by itself, but then you have gobs of meeting rooms, a big team auditorium or theater. You have offices, conference rooms, weight training rooms, you know, just so many different types of spaces that actually either are producing noise or vibration, right? Vibration is even the less sexier of of what we do, but, but it's so important. Imagine, you know, you're, you're trying to have a, you know, professional camera, uh, shoot a shot in a, in a studio and, and there's major vibration. Every time somebody drops a weight or rolls a bumpy cart with a bad wheel down a corridor, if you're not dealing with the vibration that's transmitting into the studio, you're in trouble. So it's all these mixes of spaces that, that you're you're trying to solve both the functionality in the space, but how each can affect the other. And that's what many architects and designers, no offense to them, but they, they're not thinking with that perspective. They're thinking, okay, what are our finishes? What are the size of spaces? How do I do layouts of furniture and seating and such? But they're not thinking about what do I need to build that wall or that floor, or that ceiling, or the doors especially from to make sure that that noise either doesn't get out and bother another room or vice versa. You know, they're not being bothered if they're a sensitive room and they're not being bothered by some other noisy, maybe it's a mechanical room or something like that, that's right next to you or across the hall. So that's really one of the biggest things that I would say to people planning their building is you have to think not just with your eyes, but with your ears as well as how sound can affect the particular uh, spaces. True true story. I know not sequitur, but... So we just finished the project that that actually you weren't part of, and um, great project, great clients. 
they built it on top of a subway stop. Mm-hmm. And so when we were rehearsing, we were, <laughs> we were rehearsing and the whole building started to do this, mm-hmm. you know, but through no fault of the, the clients, but one of those things where, you know, and actually even the architect and the engineer is no fault of that. Mm-hmm. The, it wasn't originally used, originally designed to be used for the use that it is currently functioning in. Mm-hmm. So even when you started to look at the design process and what they were anticipating being the end user, ended up being something different with different requirements. Mm. And so, you know, those unknowns happen in real life. I mean, it's not, you know, we, you and I have seen enough crazy stuff, but it's mm-hmm. um, these are you know these are real things that um, I think with with your expertise and you know your strategies you you kind of help you know make the project better in a way. So what was this in New York City? No, no, okay, no, a little bit so, further south. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in urban environments, that that's another yeah. thing. I mean, we we've been fortunate to do plenty of sports broadcasts and other type of broadcast facilities kind of in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in, in, in a way of being, being exposed to urban transportation and, and other uh, factors. But when you have studios that are located, whether it's in Manhattan or Philly or, or Boston, um, very congested cities, LA, obviously, you're going to have all of those external sources traffic noise, uh, like you said, subways, you know, which are plentiful in certain cities. Uh, and subway noise, as we've learned over the years, can, can really travel up many, many floors into a building. So just those things that maybe no one's thinking about unless it's, unless it's brought to their attention. So have the conversations early. That's a really good point. Uh, I think just just getting in and, and having those conversations early, like like Steve mentioned, I think is that's something that we've driven home quite a bit on these uh, on these episodes of these podcasts, Peter. Something that we've we've discussed quite a lot. Steve, I'm curious from your perspective, what sets maybe broadcast studios apart from some of the other types of facilities like you've done? Are there any particular or unique challenges that come with broadcast studios, or anything that you have to to think about, or factors that you have to kind of put into play? That, that maybe don't exist with, with museums or, or residential facilities or, or other things like that? Well, I think I've mentioned one of them already, and that's the, the influence of vibration, for mm-hmm. sure, on there. Because if something is in person, let's say like you're, you're attending, I, I happen to have worked on Carnegie Hall in one of my past lives, the new space below the main auditorium, which is called Zenkel. And that is right next to the 7th Avenue subway. So we made conscious decisions from the very beginning that we would do something to literally raise part of the building on giant rubber blocks to mitigate some of the vibration, but we were never going to be able to stop it all from getting into that lower level space. It was just, it would be so costly if it could be done at all. And But everybody knew that going in there and just said, okay, we're going to accept this. We're going to say it'll be part of the character, right, (laughs) of the space. Um, You know you're in Manhattan. Uh, But seriously, they they felt they could justify not spending 
you know, tens of millions of dollars to float the entire building, uh, existing building, because it was live. Yes, they do recording. Yes, they do broadcast there, but it's secondary to the live events. Whereas in a broadcast studio proper, all you have is the broadcast. I mean, when I say that, you know what I, I mean by it's that is the thing. It is the broadcast. It's being able to to transmit your environment out to the world in that way. And so if your environment is faulty, if you have a lot of noise or a lot of reverberation that will also get picked up on a microphone. And, and also, it's not just even being picked up on a microphone. Sometimes microphones can reject it. But it's also, what do these acoustic challenges, these defects, you might call them, what kind of uh, impact does that have on the talent, on the interviewer? You know, does it kind of cause them to, to feel uneasy? You know, people in a noisy reverberant environment aren't always as calm and relaxed as they would be in a much more controlled, tamed, uh, acoustic condition. So is it affecting them at all? You know, that's something that one has to, to question, to, to have all these outside influences, the noise, the vibration, et cetera. So that's what uh, really makes a broadcast studio in that type of environment very unique. Now, with the secondary spaces, whether they're podcast rooms, whether they are uh, control rooms that are, are mixing, recording, uh, doing supplemental recording and mixing, they do also have that type of critical nature so that you're dealing with the, the noise and the quality of sound in the room if it's not correct it could impact the final results. Peter, anything you want to add on to, uh, to Steve's comments? I mean, as it relates to broadcast only, I think he kind of nailed it. I think that because the broadcast is such a controlled moment, right, relative to the content, you don't want things to be distracting, right? Whether it's lighting, whether it's something scenically, obviously acoustics, these are things that, Ideally, as designers and engineers and planners, we we create a you know a, a box, as it were, that allows the client to communicate whatever it is they need to communicate on the broadcast. And you know, acoustics, as much as any of them, can be the one thing that may stick out, that may you know distract whether it's a presenter or or a viewer. So. Can can I actually add a little bit of anecdotal story? So there was a, a major sports broadcast team that Peter brought us into kind of almost after the fact because there was a bit of an issue with sound leakage from the studio to a nearby interviewer room where press interviewed uh, coaches and, and staff and such. And Peter, you can correct me if I have this wrong, but apparently they were... yeah. Pre-recording pre an episode where they were talking about a, a major staffing decision. Let's put it this way. Yeah. And they had never intended, of course, for that information to get out early to the press. But yet the press was all gathered next door. With right outside. Of, yeah, yeah, right outside the broadcast studio. Yeah. With a leaky sound door. Uh, leading from the studio to the press room. So basically, yeah. everybody got wind of it much earlier than anyone anticipated. So there was some yeah. damage control necessary, right? So we we got brought in to fix that problem so it never happened again. 
Yeah. I mean, generally, it's a great idea to put the press right next to the broadcast studio, but assuming that it's contained. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. You live and you learn, I suppose, is the... Uh, is the lesson there, and uh, and maybe a lesson for uh, for us with acoustics as well. But uh, but Peter and Steve, as we start to wrap up our conversation here today, I want to give you all the chance to to give us any final thoughts you have, any any summaries, any conclusions, anything you want to leave our audience with here today. So, Steve, let me toss it to you first. Uh, what do you want to leave our audience with today, just in this conversation about acoustics and the impacts that it can have? Uh, sound does matter in in broadcast facilities. It's not an afterthought, or shouldn't be an afterthought, and and certainly everything can be addressed without impacting aesthetics, impacting functionalities. That's perhaps something that people are weary of is bringing, you know, an expert in like us to, to start looking at these things, you know, having somebody that, that knows, first of all, what the functions are, what the conflicts could be if it's not done properly and can express that in a very clear and distinct way to end users to designers to other people who have a vested interest in these types of facilities, I think is really important so that nothing gets left undecided or or undiscussed because if you decide for one reason that you're not going to implement something that we know or people like us know could be very important, at least your, your expectations are managed, whether it's for cost reasons or other reasons. Everybody is going into the project. Everybody, this building is being finished and facility is up and running, knowing that you either have addressed all of the critical elements or you've purposely decided not to address it or defer it perhaps to later. And, and you know, l- logically thought about that. What could possibly be deferred if necessary, or do a wait and see approach, because not everything can, if it's part of the general construction, but certain things might be able to. Uh, not not always recommended, but it can be. So that's really the important thing is, is really get the proper guidance in the beginning, in the early stages of space planning and functional planning, so that you know what you're going to get in the end. There's no surprises. Excellent stuff. Peter, what about you? Any, uh, any final thoughts, any conclusions? What do you want to leave us with here today? Well, I'll, I'll piggyback off of Steve there. I think the, there's actually two things. One is Steve and generally how he approaches things is very strategic. So it's one of those things where, okay, let's, let's assess it and at least just see what we need to do in order to help provide the proper performance. But Again, knowing that, I mean, what what's great about Steve, his one of his superpowers is one, being able to explain these things to people like me to help them understand. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to, right? So that's the first thing. But then the second thing is that, you know, Steve is able to put together like these recommendations relative to how you would approach them relative to priorities, right? And so sometimes, I mean, you just need to do X, Y, and Z all together to make it do what we needed to do. But sometimes, you know, there's there's a little gray area. And I what I really appreciate about Steve is that he'll help the clients think through that, right? It's not just like, well, here's our recommendations, take it or leave it. Um, and I think that's kind of a common theme, to be to be honest, between 
um, all of our team members, whether it's acoustics, lighting, scenic, fabrication, you know, infrastructure. I, that's kind of what we what we try to do. And so I would say to last minute, you know, answers or last minute parting thoughts is that just just know that, you know, you have to ask the question first to know what you need to do. And, you know, we're not here to I mean, we're here to help. I mean, we're, we're not here to try to convince somebody to do something that they don't need to do. Um, that's not the spirit or the nature of which, um, you know, that we approach our work. So excellent stuff. Excellent stuff from both of you guys. Uh, Steve, where can people learn more uh, about SH Acoustics? Uh, we have a website, shacoustics.com. And they can also contact us. I think our email addresses are on there. Social media pages, of course, Facebook, LinkedIn. I think we're also going to and we haven't done it yet, but I think we're also going to have like a partners page on our website so that, you know, as we put together all of these podcasts and share our partners, I think it would be good to have just one, you know, one place that a client could go relative to the podcast and see, you know, who they're talking to and how to get a hold of them. Excellent stuff. And the Provo Studio website is provo-studio.com. So you can head there and uh, and learn more about Provo Studio and see some of the work that they've done as well. Stephen Peter, thanks so much for joining us here for another episode of Studio Insights. It's been a pleasure having you guys on. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you. Absolutely. And everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Studio Insights and learning a little bit more about acoustics with us here today. Of course, you should subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, or of course, you can head to the Provost Studio website for more information. And stay tuned. We'll be back soon with more episodes of the podcast. But for this one, for my guests today, Peter and Steve, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>